Welcome back to Season 3 of The Interior Collective, a podcast for the business of beautiful living. Quiet luxury is the buzzword in every marketing campaign and TikTok video around these days, but the concept of mixing bespoke, one-of-a-kind pieces with quality, everyday items is here to stay. Joining us today is Bridget Romanek, founder and principal designer of Romanek Design Studio. She is one of LA's most sought-after designers and named repeatedly in Art Digest 8100 and El Decor's A-List. Bridget's clients include Gwyneth Paltrow, Beyonce, Kelly Rowland, Misty Copeland, and Demi Moore, and she's built her studio on the foundation that spaces should be fresh and functional, aesthetically provoking, and completely lived in. Tune in as we break down how Bridget achieves that livable luxury in every project, from quiet family homes to multi-million dollar high-profile projects. Hello and welcome, Bridget. I am so glad to have you here on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here on the show. I'm excited to be here. It's always nice to see you. It is so fun to catch up because for those who don't know, Bridget has been a keynote speaker now twice at Design Camp, once (laughs) as a headliner and once as a super huge surprise guest. That was so fun this past spring. So So we have a lot to catch up on and a lot of new things to talk about because the world of Bridget Romanek is absolutely exploding. (laughs) (laughs) To kick things off, I actually just learned this as I was doing some more background research about you. So Uh I'd love if if you could share kind of the backstory. Your design career did not start with interiors. Can you walk us through what you were doing when you realized interiors might actually be your calling? I was designing handbags. (laughs) And that was really something that was organic as well. And it was this one year where a friend had said, let's make things for each other this year. And it was a bunch of us ladies at lunch. And we thought, oh, that would be really cool. And I somehow decided and thought I can make handbags. And and I did. And it was really quite fun to do. And and yeah, we had moved to London for a while. We came back. And so when we came back, I had a garage full of like extra bags. And I said, you know, I'm going to have a, a sale and get rid of these bags. And people came and bought bags, but they liked my home even more than the bags. And so a friend said, can you help me with my house? And I was like, okay, sure, let's do it. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how it started. That's how, that's how it started. That's how she moved, yes. So it sounds like your handbag career was not super lengthy. But (laughs) I'm wondering if designing handbags, do you feel like it taught you anything about interior design? Well, I think it's all part of the same muscle, to be honest. You know, it's just that those creative juices flowing, you know, and what is one's connection to the to their creative path and how do they do it and what are what are the things they look at to create and what's important to them. And for me, it's you know, it's always the same. I want to make people feel good and I want to make people happy and I want to make them feel strong. And so the the bags I created, they were such statements and the interiors I create, I, I hope are statements, big statements for people. And yeah, it really is part of that same process. So I got very lucky. The day this episode comes out, I'm going to beg you to post pictures of your handbags on your Instagram stories because now everybody is going to be like, where do we see these handbags? Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Yeah, you know, the bags were amazing because I created them just for friends and then somehow they became pretty big and I, and I kind of couldn't 
keep up for a while. And then we were moving to London. So right at that time, I kind of said, oh, perfect time for me to stop. And I liked it. I really did. But I love interior design. That's my joy. And that's my home. So it was, you know, it was part of the journey to get there, to get to here. So that's all good. Okay. So now that interiors is your home, you have had so many recent accolades and I feel like they must be incredibly effective and impactful on your business. I mean, we're talking cover stories and just like celebrity project after celebrity project, plus the upcoming book. And I just feel like there's so much rolling right now. How have those accolades and like those sort of like benchmarks in your career shaped the creative freedom you are getting as far as inquiries coming in? Well, it's really, it is interesting because I view, and you know this about me, like, and I say this all the time, like I I view every project is equally is important whether you're a celebrity or not a celebrity in your own home you are the celebrity you know <laughs> so i view every project the same in the dedication and the love that i give to the project so the fact that people want to hire me and trust me i just you know it's it's amazing and so i really always want to do my best but <clears throat> of course with working with prominent people you definitely get more eyes on your work and so that's helpful and amazing. And it also, it's also great because it sort of allows for people to, to believe in your creativity and it allows them to feel more of a a safety with your creativity, which is really fantastic. And also allows for them to often say, you know, we trust what you want to do. And that means a lot. I, I always dig into what my clients want though, because that is hugely important and, and a big deal to me. So that combination, I, I hope brings out the best in the project, but yes, getting eyes on your project is, is important because that is how you move forward with your work. And obviously not every job, but, but, but yes, a lot of jobs do come through people seeing work that you've done. And a lot of times that happens with with celebrity clients because you know their houses are published or even they sometimes will post a picture in their in their house as a background so it's all these good all these good things that is going to lead me to another question about technicalities of like privacy especially when it comes to celebrity clients but mm-hmm. i want to talk a little bit about the firm first so okay. can you give us some background about the structure of the business as in how many people are on your team now and how mm-hmm. involved are you in the design process itself mm-hmm. i do every ounce i i do the design <laughs> i you know my firm is still relatively new you know we we, I opened the firm in, let's see, what was it, June, in June? I think it was 2018. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's right. That's right. And we started it with just myself and someone who could sort of run the office, if you wanted to call it that, and just someone else to assist me. And, and that was it. And now we are between nine to 12, depending on the project and the size. But it's it's been this incredible process and we're still learning every single day how to do something better you know we update our procedures we update protocols all of it based on experiences you know and so i think in this beginning and i still consider it the beginning it's important that i do the design and it's important that it is 
my my vision along with my clients. And I have team members who, let's say, for instance, if I've pulled something and maybe it's taken a moment for the client to decide if they like it or not, if it's vintage, if it's gone, you know, they might show me other items, which would be great and say, well, that's not available anymore, but here are three more, Bridget, and that helps me. And then, <clears throat> then in my firm, there's Narek, who's like my, my right hand, who I just love so, so dearly. And he's been with me since the beginning and just knows me so well. So he's able to help me, but, but I am, I, I live for the design and the creative part. That's my favorite part of it all. And so I still, I still do that. I love that you have been able to maintain control of the creative part because I feel like so many of our listeners and even myself as a business owner, as the business grows, you get pulled to doing so many other things, primarily managing and not Mm -hmm. even doing the creative part. So Mm -hmm. what, what part of the design process are you able to outsource to your team? Or do you have someone else doing technical drawings? Do you have someone else doing elevations, those sort of technical things? Yeah. That's exactly exactly right. You 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 know that, and those and those things. It, it's so it's super super helpful. And so I do have team members that take care of that for me. But I think it's really important as as we grow our businesses to remember what we love about it and why we do it. And that is hugely important. And that's sort of the fuel for me. And it's really one of those things where it is you know ninety five percent business. And so you have to be on top of that. In, in no way can you sort of shut your eyes and just cross your fingers. You have to be on top of it. But getting back to the root of it and, and what makes everything go, because that is the foundation. That's what makes all of this work is that creativity. So it's really, really important. And I have my design days where I do nothing but that. And those are you know, my favorite days in the office. I think, I forget who told me this, but it was a conversation I had one time and someone reminded me that you should be doing the work that someone is hiring you to do and someone is hiring you to design. And so your hours should not be spent doing those technical specific drawings or doing the actual ordering or following up on that invoice. That work needs to be done, but that's not why they came to you. And I think that you are such a good reminder of that. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, and that and that's the thing, you know, the behind the scenes of how you get the project into fruition is is obviously really important, and all of those steps makes everything go. But the basis of what this is is when it's all said and done, you know, you want to have created this incredible, stunning, personal love letter and this the sanctuary for someone, you know, so you have to remember and you have to be fueled by all that good stuff, you know, that, that gets it there, you know, and that's what you should be doing. The creative, the creative one, the one who created the firm is in that person's name and that person's vision. So you got to remember that. Absolutely. Bridget, would you say that the majority of your clients are in like the Southern California area? I feel like when I look at your portfolio, a lot of it is. Do you do a ton Mm -hmm. of work nationally, internationally? I would say that most of it is in, just going through the projects in my area, most of it is in, most of my work is in LA, but it goes out to many other places and more and more, which I love. You know, I was speaking to a friend of mine, a colleague who was saying, 
you know, she's doing her first project and it's in Dubai and she's been in business like 20 years. So that was great because it just tells me how it just continues to sort of grow and reach other places. But, you know, we've done Italy, London, New York, um, Hamptons, Boston, different places. And I, and I love that. I love that. I love expanding and growing. So how does your project management shift when you're designing something somewhere else? Are you usually the person who does like the site visits, the walkthroughs? Mm-hmm. In that yeah. instance, do you send someone else? How does that yeah. break down? No, I go initially. I go and I have to get my eyes on the building. And I'm such a, a you know, just a big ball of feelings. <laughs> so, you know, I need to walk into the space and see how it feels to me and walk through with my client and, you know, and know what they want to feel. And so that, that pushes the design aspect forward. So I can't really send anyone else. So I do go for the initial visit. I will send someone else during the process, you know, sort of in the middle. But I think it's important that the PM on that job get to see it as well. And so we really can have a clear conversation about it. And um, not one of those, well, if you only saw the, you know, this part. So that doesn't work. It's just better when we both have had our eyes on it. So usually in the middle, I will send the PM on the job. And then for the end, I go for every install. Amazing. So back up in the process, I really would love to talk about presentation day and what that Mm -hmm. looks like. It -hmm. sounds like to me that you do the presentations yourself. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Can you? All the initial presentations, I always, always do it because I'm the one who has the conversations with the client and I'm the one who they've hired and, and no one can really speak to it the way that I can. And what I mean by that is I have very I've been very lucky and I have incredible people on my team, all very talented and skilled people. But I think that when it comes to, you know, our clients viewing this presentation for the first time, I can't help myself. The excitement I have and the information or just the speaking about it, I have so much passion about it that I want to share that with the client. And then sometimes more so when most of the design is done, if we need to change an item or something, I might have someone on the team express to them that was done, but this is what Bridget likes as a, you know, as, as another option and likes equally as well. And that's just great because that's an efficient way to do it. And they also know the vibe or know what it's going to look like. And so it's just a one-off piece that we need to adjust or change or something like that. But I, I have to do it. I mean, maybe one day, I don't know. I don't know. If I'll ever be able to, to not do it, I don't know. But it's interesting because sometimes you know, it's like you know, we get a little excited but nervous at the same time. You know, it's all of these, all of these feelings. You know, but I put it all on the page. I try to. So explain to us what presentation day looks like for you. And I'm just sitting here picturing Gwyneth sitting in her house <laughs> as you go and present this. But are you presenting? physical tactile items and printed copies of presentations? Is it digital? What is the, what is a presentation by Bridget look like? Well, it's all, it's always put in one of our beautiful binders. It's always really large (laughs) and it's always an awkward uh, binder to carry, but that's okay because it's the most important thing is that the client be able to really see the pieces. And I learned that sort of early on as well, because when you're talking about something and if you've got a little page and it's not really showing the item, you know, 
clients come like, oh, can you send me more images of that later? And so you want to give them as much of a picture as you can. And so I'll even ask vendors, can you send me more pictures of this item even before I am presenting? Because if I feel like the picture I'm seeing might not be good enough. And now I sort of know what clients are looking for, you know, so I will absolutely ask for more pictures before I put it on boards. But I do, I do a rather large presentation. And also knowing my clients and understanding them is really important too, because I have some that, you know, I will just call him Bill. You know, Bill might not necessarily care about the fabrics. He's going to trust me. He doesn't really need to see 45 fabrics. What it actually does is it confuses him. So maybe what I'll do is just put, you know, a few, this is the general direction, but I don't bring necessarily everything. And he'll say, yes, great, go ahead. That's fine. You know, and it became, it was kind of funny because in the beginning I was lugging everything and he's like, okay. I no don't <laughs> you know so it's also reading my client but we do absolutely have a, a protocol in place and and taking as much as we can and then you know if it's meeting after meeting so yes here are all of the pieces if they're going to be custom you know we're thinking of this color you know and maybe if not this color we you know we, we take as much as we can and I, it's always me and then the pm and then usually someone on that team that's going to take all of the notes and to make sure everything is being heard correctly and we're all on the same page. So does that presentation, does the client get a digital copy of that giant binder as well? Yes. Yes. Digital as well. It's almost like homework too, because then the client can look at everything and then, and then process it all because it's hard in the moment. It's like you're overwhelmed when you're seeing it and sometimes they need time. I know that a huge majority of your project is are vintage and one of a kind pieces. Do you have vendors send videos as well to clients? I mean, because we're talking about like very expensive one of a kind pieces, and I can imagine that sometimes those sells can be a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I try to get as much information on a piece as I can. You know, especially if it's an artist edition, or if it's coming directly from the artist, or if it's a one-off. You know, these are really important things because you're asking the client to basically buy something sight unseen and trust that everything is right. You know, from just from an image, and that's not easy. And so the more support we can give them and feeling confident about what they're doing, like what they're purchasing, it's just important. It's really important. And it's also a great way for you to say, like, so if the piece comes and the client says, oh, I didn't realize it was this color. It's like, yeah, we went over that, <laughs> you know, and in a way of looking after yourself as well. It's just better for everyone. As much as you can get on that, that piece. Yeah. All the do information. You- do you get signatures or some sort of sign off on each of those individual vintage or one of a kind pieces before making that purchase? Or is it like, okay, the living room has been approved, go ahead and place the orders? No, it's more a case of if it's approved and then we send through the proposal. And then, if, you know, and all the information is on the proposal. And then if the client, then doesn't want it for some reason, they'll say, no, actually, I'm going to pass on this. You know, so we try to, to alleviate a step and, and do it that way. Because if they have approved it, then we immediately go to the procurement phase. And they'll let us know, you know, on a second thought, no, or all great. Just, just depend what they wanted. So 
obviously you have a background in Hollywood, born and raised in the the spotlight, and now you have such high-profile clients. But so many of our designers who are listening might have high profile clients, whether they're in the tech industry or whatever it is. And they have, they really value their privacy. And some questions have come up about, Hey, this client won't let me photograph this project. Mm -hmm. And from a business owner standpoint, it's like, this was, you know, three years of work. I have to photograph this. Like it is critical to my business. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that's come up for you. Can you talk us through any advice you have on how to negotiate that or how to have in your contractor, how you cautiously and empathetically handle it? So I, I was actually born in Chicago, but I have been in LA all my life. But what I would say is that it's important to have in your contract that you are allowed to photograph the project. And if it's if it's flagged or if it's brought up, then you negotiate what can be photographed. You know, what what rooms are available to you, what section of a room or if you have to get approval on the photographs, meaning you will have your photographer take them, but they need to see them first. There's usually something that can be negotiated. You could even say, I'll never say who the client is, but I'd like to be able to present my work because it's how I get more work. And I've not had a client just, I mean, I've had a couple of 100% no's, but, and those projects were still important for me to take for my, for my growth and for them. And so it was all, it, it was fine. And that's another thing you have to really look at a project and see if it's right for you on all the levels that matter for you. But yeah, for the most part, you can find a happy medium that works for everybody. And usually people like to be able to say, like, this is my home. Look how how great it is. So you can find a way. Find a sweet spot in there. The Interior Collective is thrilled to now accept project tour submissions from our listeners. Log on to theinterior.co and scroll to the footer to submit your latest work for consideration. Once selected, your project will be featured on our new website, The Interior Collective, along with extensive social media coverage, dedicated newsletter features, and more. We are eager to showcase great projects from around the world and continue to build a platform that highlights and uplifts our community. I've also heard of designers who will charge some sort of fee for if someone decides to opt out of photography in their contract, they can pay mm-hmm. an additional $5,000, whatever it is, to opt mm-hmm. out of that. And it's, I believe that our attorneys itemized it as something along the lines of like loss of advertising, like mm-hmm. a line item like that. So that was yeah. an option as well. But I think that's so smart that you could negotiate specific vignettes within the house, et cetera, mm-hmm. yeah. detail shots to be able to evoke that. Do you have like a number of shots for a, a project that you feel like if I'm going to shoot this and make it worth it, I need to get five shots out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about it in terms of like rooms. I would like to get at least three rooms because that can kind of tell the story of the vibe of this place and what that's about. So that's, that's how I view it. I view it more like, you know, if I can show, you know, part of a living room or a vignette of the den or just, you know, just moments. So you have been photographing for your book and <laughs> I feel like there's kind of this, this line between designers who are newer in their career, you know, they've had their business for three to five years or just starting out and they feel like they need a hundred shots of every project. And then I feel like there's kind of this mm-hmm. threshold because then I see 
expert, literally the expert level designers who will have a portfolio project that maybe has, you know, seven photos total Mm -hmm. for the whole project. Mm -hmm. How do you gain the confidence to feel like this one shot evokes the whole feel Hmm. of this room? Yeah. You know, I've sort of learned that even the way I like to look at things is I don't necessarily want to (laughs) see, you know, like want to see everything. And then, so I like what I think are the, uh, the best moments in that project. And so then you pull those out. So I kind of call it the hit it and quit it kind of, idea, you know, so you get in there, you show that stuff and then you can kind of move on to the next one. And I think that's kind of better. You know, you don't necessarily have to have hundreds of images. Think of yourself as I'm so good <laughs> that I can show you. And, you know, it's like, what's, what there was something? Oh, like name that tune. I can name that tune in, you know, five notes or something. It's like, I can show you this house in five pictures and you can get the vibe and you can see what it's about. And that's somehow cooler and a little bit more mysterious, I think, you know, than this is mm. than having, it, it more seems almost like having that many images is just a bit more exhausting. You know, you just want mm. to play the hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. <sighs> So when you're in the moment with your photographer and you're shooting the hit shot, mm-hmm. do you, are there instances where you'll move a piece from a different side of the room to get it into that one vignette? Or when you're shooting, are you like, this is the one angle and it's exactly as it is in real life? It's both. It's absolutely, mm. it's absolutely both. You know, and it's funny too. It's so much fun shooting with photographers that have vision too, because they'll, they might move a piece and you're like, Ooh, that's good. You know, that's a good idea, you know, so it's really fun to have that relationship and that rapport that with photographers that you really trust and can see things even maybe a little bit differently than you might see it. And so then they do throw in a chair or move something, angle it just so. But it's always in the end what you want it to be. These are these are your shots, but they might show you a fresh way of looking at it. So that's really fun. And also for composition, sometimes, you know, designers will move items in a shot or out of a shot just because, you know, you look at the, the picture and it may look one way in your head, but on film, it looks, it looks like something else. And so you just keep working it until you have the right shot, but you never change the essence of what that room is, or, you know, don't be phony and make something completely that's not, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So of course, yeah. Move items around in that dining room a little bit, or maybe move the table an inch to the left or to the right, if that makes it better. But carrying the essence through of of what the story you're telling is really important. Speaking of the essence of a project, I feel like your signature style is that you design for the client. And I think there's definitely always like this cool level of Bridget that I see woven through each of them. Like everything is always super unique and it's such a mix of styles, yet still really light and airy and there's tons of plants and it's just, I can always tell when it's your work. And, but the projects look really different. And so to help maintain that signature aesthetic throughout, are you always working with the same photographer? I ha- No, I mean, I have photographers that I love. But I 
have been lucky enough to work with a few different photographers. I think Michael Clifford is just his energy and, and his vibe. He's just he's a, a, a ray of sunshine when he walks in. Douglas Freeman, we laugh the entire time. I just think he's just fantastic. I mean, there are some great photographers out there and that share their vision and you get to learn and create. So that's really, really fun. And so, gosh, it's just, it's you, what the way to find a photographer that is right for you is by looking at their work, you know, looking at their work and seeing imagery that you love. Maybe you don't love the necessary pieces, but <clears throat> that's not important. It's just more that you love the composition. You love the way they light. You love that, you know, the photographer, their work is sort of like bright and airy or this photographer's moody you know whatever feeling you're wanting to evoke that's how you have to look at it look at the photographer's work is through that lens and that'll help you to uh, get to the right person and there are some really great ones out there are you comfortable with one project might have a moodier vibe than another project Mm -hmm. and are you comfortable with your portfolio looking super different that way or do you try to keep a consistent feel amongst all of them so there's like a fluidity to it or are you like every project stands on its own no i like the idea of there being a fluidity and telling a, a story from beginning to end and even in something that is bright and airy that still could you know i want everything to evoke a mood and that comes with the telling of the story that comes with what i do as a designer it comes with the pieces that are involved it comes with the length of the curtain that's draped in the photograph it comes with the angle it comes with all those things and so you can tell your story which is hugely important with any photographer you work with but it is really fun to work with different photographers for that reason and see things through their eyes that could be made better or interesting or cool or just really fun. And then when you find one who you really just gel with and everything seems like it's all in sync and that's a beautiful thing too. So that's what being creative is. It's, it's trying things, finding what's right for you. It's all of that good stuff. So I, I like it all. Because, well, first question, do you have a stylist either on your team or that you bring in or do you style everything at a shoot yourself? I do it myself. Of course, you do, girl. (laughs) I do it myself. But I was also lucky enough for GP's house, for for Buena's house, I worked with Colin King, who I love, and who's since become such a a, a friend. So that was fun. And yeah, it's all of it. Again, it's that journey of learning and creating and and seeing other, other creatives take on what you've done, what you do. Yeah, so it's good. Because you have a lot of, you know, high profile or celebrity clients, like you said, a lot of them will likely want their project shot and like it'll end up being something that runs an AD, for instance. Mm-hmm. When you have a project that you anticipate running in something like AD, mm-hmm. are you working with AD to shoot that project or do you also shoot it exclusively for yourself or is it always shot by you and you just hand it over to the publication? No, it's really a a combination. You know, it could be something where I think, oh, this could be amazing for AD or El Decor or, you know, this could be something special. And so with that, you know, we share imagery and they say, okay, great. We'd like this person to shoot it. Or if it doesn't work, that's, you know, it doesn't work. But 
AD and Elder, like they're pros. They're they're such pros at what they're doing. And so they have ways that they like to move about. But you can show even even an iPhone pick of something you're doing that you think is great. And because they've been doing this so long, they can kind of tell from that, yes, this is this is gonna be a great one, or you know, maybe it's not for us, whatever the case may be, but they're usually able to tell. And then they also have editors that they'll send out to go and see it as well, you know, and then decide if they're going to publish it or not. And so when you're working with something that's going to get published, do you in that contract negotiate that you have rights to include it on your own website or do you need to have it shot separately and you don't get to use those images? I know that we've had people kind of hit sort of a a wall with that too, not knowing if they need to shoot something twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it depends on who owns the photograph. So if mm-hmm. it's AD that owns them or the other core or if it's the photographer, it depends on who mm. owns them. And that's the first step is figuring that out. And then usually from that, from there, I'm speaking to them and asking what your rights are with the imagery. Mm-hmm. And it, based on that is how you, how you move forward. And I've had it both ways where I've had to shoot something or, or magazine has been very helpful and said, you absolutely use imagery or the photographer owns them. And the photographer says, yes, that would be great because that means that they get to show their work as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think that there's necessarily a set way. I haven't mm-hmm. run across that. It can be different with, with every, with every house. And so if you have a plan in mind of how you want to do it, have that conversation before the first shot is taken. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate the situation when you have, you know, you have GP's house running on the cover and that's not happening for eight months and you have these gorgeous images that you want to add to your portfolio of work? How do you navigate what you can show, what you can't show? And is it true you're never allowed to show like anything until it hits the actual publication? Because for a lot of people who've been working on a project, you know, for two, three years, like once they have these images in hand, they are desperate to be able to share it and to wait for the possibility of it getting published can be cumbersome and in some ways a bit detrimental to their business, not being able to showcase their best, latest work. Yes, but it would be more detrimental to your business if you did do it and you weren't supposed to. That mm-hmm. you know, you just don't do it, and and you just wait out those eight months or whatever it is you have to do. You just you honor what you said you would do, and you and you just wait. And but you found that to be true that you found it to be true that you typically do have to wait on those images. Yes. Okay, let's talk book. So your first book, (laughs) Livable Lux, comes out on October 10th, and it is comprised of over 150 images of some of your most A-list projects, some of your never-before-seen projects, and I believe your own home is in there as well. (laughs) Yeah, it still blows my mind that I even have a book coming out. I'm so grateful and so honored, and people... Having never done one before, you know, people tell me, oh, you know, books take two years to do in this. And we did it in eight months. And I think the thing that was important to me is really people ask me more than anything is about my story and how I got started and how it happened and my journey. And so that was the most important thing, because I feel like if it helps 
other designers to feel um, empowered or feel like they can do it or whatever the case may be that if it brings them just that feeling of, Oh, she can do it. I can do it. That, that's, that's really everything. Um, and there are these lovely moments in, uh, in the book about this, how this particular client, how we worked together or how we came together or why I like this particular moment in the house. And it's, yeah, I hope that there's just joy in it for, for people to know that the only rules are the rules you put on yourself. You know, other than that, you got you to gotta go for what you love. So you wrote this book in eight months Mm -hmm. and it's a really inspired interpretation of a traditional coffee table book to me because it is filled with short essays and personal anecdotes. Were any of those essays or notes, were those things that you had been jotting down throughout your career or was everything written specifically for this book and was just recollected from memories you had? So really just, just from memories and, and different publishers had, had reached out to me and I felt very lucky with that. And I worked with Chronicle Chroma because Gloria and Steve, they cared so much about how I got to where I am in my story. And they cared about having a real relationship with me. And it, and it was about, it wasn't just about like, let's have a pretty image and, you know, and, and, and that's all it that's all it is. It really was more about telling my, just my truth about what has happened in my career thus far and how I've gotten here and how much I love what I do. You know, and every day is not, I don't wake up every day. Oh my gosh. You know, it's not not like that. It's just that even, you know, and and even I have spoken about this before, it says even in on its worst day. And I want designers to know that there are some tough days in what we do that, you still want to be doing this. And I just feel so fortunate. My, my childhood was not an easy one. And so, but, but knowing that you can use things that have happened to you as fuel, you know, the good, the good and the bad, use it as fuel to, to push you forward. And that's the Steve and Gloria, they were just, they were excited by, by me sharing that, you know, it wasn't about just a pretty picture. They were excited about telling the story. And I wanted to tell my story, just letting people know, Hey, you, you got a chance. You've got a chance to do this. You know, I, I didn't, a lot of these people came to me through word of mouth or just by just seeing something I might have done, you know, just, so it's really believing in yourself and, and knowing that you got it, baby. (laughs) in your book you describe your signature style as gucci meets gap (laughs) it's true what does that mean to you well to me that's just is it's just saying that we can have something very exquisite and beautifully made and all of the details are right and they're there and it's just tailored to the nines. And that can sit right opposite something that feels slouchy and sloppy. But if the relationship in, is there and it's harmonious, then that's what we're doing. You know, a piece that costs, you know, $1,000 can sit next to a piece that costs, you know, $50. None of that matters. What matters is how it all comes together and tells your story. And so... That's the way that I have to live, you know, like maybe I can save up for that expensive item, 
But for the most part, my house has to be functional and it has to work and kids and animals and all that good stuff. But I still want to live in a pretty environment. So it, it, you don't have to have all precious things, all high ticket items to feel like, you know, this is I've made it look everybody. It's not that at all. It's it's about, you know, what feels good and is important to you. And that could be, you know, this incredible rock that you found on the beach that tells a story for you along with the crystal that cost 18 million, you know, it's just, it's just whatever, whatever works and whatever feels right. So I know those listening are probably giving a little bit of a side eye to the thought of like Gucci meets Gap as if your fancy clients have, you know, slouchy furniture. <laughs> but I, I think that the way you articulate the, the emotion and the comfort level and the livability and the materiality of that is so livable. Yeah. Why do you feel like your clientele are seeking out that signature style? What is it about that that feels so particularly appealing to potentially a Los Angeles greater area market? Because this idea that COVID, I mean, listen, COVID is awful, was awful, and, and we all had a really rough time. I think one positive from it is that people were actually living in their spaces and seeing how they want to function and feeling how they want to function in their spaces and what their spaces meant to them. And so with that, you want to be able to use every single space you have. You want it to be beautiful, but you also want it to be livable. You also want to enjoy it. You don't want a velvet rope around the living room. You want you want to be able to exhale when you get home. You want to have your safe space. And it used to be that it felt like the, the two things were very separate. You know, like if you have a, be- a room with beautiful items, then the kids can't go in there or if things were precious, you know, they had to be up, up high so no one could really, you know, get to them. And it's real that's not really living. Luxury to me is being able to enjoy your things and 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 to have a space that supports you, you know, supports you and what's important to you. That's real luxury. And it's not about the dollar amount. And I do have high profile clients, but I also have clients that aren't that are high profile to me and in my heart and in there, you know, and they are, but it doesn't always, but not in the public eye. No, yeah. No, no, no. And that's most of my clients. You know, so it's just a, a joy to be able to like, to get people to embrace how they live, where they live um, and have it feel good to them. And like, a, a, you know, studio apartment or 10,000 square foot house, it, it doesn't matter doesn't matter. That's such an insightful look into how COVID has shaped home for people now that I haven't really considered how every room became so important Mm -hmm. because you needed every single space possible when all three kids were home, husband's working from another room, you've got a kid home from college, and to make each of those that mix of Gucci and Gap, precious and very... Um, tactile and usable. I really appreciate that beautiful interpretation that I hadn't considered. How do you see your 
signature style Mm -hmm. evolving over time. Cause I feel like you're just skyrocketing up and every creative goes through their seasons. Picasso had their blue face, et cetera. (laughs) Do you feel like your signature, have, have you felt it shifting at all? Do you feel like there is a trajectory where things might change or are you really comfortable in this sort of signature field that you've created and will continue on that way? That's a hard one to answer. And and the reason why is because that's part of the creative journey, you know, like always wanting to grow and progress and not stay stagnant, not stay stuck. And so I'm always, always either, you know, looking for new, looking at old, whatever the case may be. I'm always changing things around in my own house to play and figure things out. And and sometimes I come and I back and I look at the room, I'll go, whoa, nope, not <laughs> not a good plan. And other times like, that's cool, that's unique. So I hope that I'm always growing. I'm hoping that I'm always evolving. I think that the basis of what my design you know, ethos and philosophy is creating homes that are personal for each, each client. And that, as we all know, like I love, you know, a love letter to them and their home has to be that for them. So those things I don't think will change, but you know, maybe pieces and styles and creations and all that kind of stuff will, will just hopefully just continue to grow. And evolved. I'm so excited to see the next work you put out. I am so excited to get my hands on the book, Livable Lux, coming out October 10th. Thank you. Bridget, what can you share with us for upcoming projects, collaborations, (laughs) other book deals, TV shows? What is in the stars for Bridget Romanek right now? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I hope that continuing to do what I love is, is first and foremost, and that's creating great spaces for people to enjoy. And I am working on a club in, on Sunset Boulevard here in LA that I'm very excited about, which I'll be able to speak about soon enough. And then working on a collaboration that I'm excited about that I'll be able to speak about soon. But I will come to you. I will come to you and let you know as soon as, as, soon as I can speak about those things. But yeah, just continuing to do this would just be, I'm grateful. <laughs> the dream. Yeah. Well, Bridget, thank you so much. Those are such exciting projects down the pipeline. <laughs> thank you for your time today. It is always such a joy and a peaceful, inspiring conversation I get to have with you. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for even for having me here. I feel very, very grateful. Thank you so much. Well, I'm sure we'll talk soon and I will see you later. Okay. Take care. Bye beauty. After hearing from Bridget firsthand, it is no wonder why celebrities and design lovers alike are flocking to her namesake studio. Bridget's pure passion for design, for creating spaces that are equal parts safe haven and inspiration, is exactly why I love my job. Don't forget to order your copy of Livable Lux, linked in the show notes and available anywhere where books are sold. You can follow along with Bridget on Instagram at Bridget Romanek as she shares behind the scenes and big reveals. 
If you missed any of the links mentioned in today's episode, you'll find the full transcript and sources included in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify. Until next week, I'm your host, Anastasia Casey. Thank you for being a part of the Interior Collective.